It's me again. <laughs> so coming out of college, um, and, and college was a whole, <laughs> a whole experience for me, um, and for my parents who had to watch and just shake my shake their heads as I was clearly making silly choices over and over and over again. <laughs> but uh, coming out of college, uh, I was trained to be in hospital administration, actually medical records management. I was uh, that's. I'm a, I was an RRA, Registered Records Administrator. I have to think about that. But that was my job, was to manage and process medical records and a team of people that would manage and process medical records as it moved between different financial entities, insurance companies, hospitals, doctors, the government. There's a lot of paperwork and a lot to be done and organized to make sure that everybody's ducks in a row, that everybody gets paid, that and then everything's moving the way it should. There's a lot of red tape to navigate their entire job descriptions related to navigating that that red tape. When I got out of school, um, I did pretty well in my last couple of years of school in my major, and, and I, I knew a lot of stuff. I knew a lot of facts, I knew a lot of systems, and I knew a lot of theories on how to manage people and how to manage a records department and how to interact with all of those many, many entities. I knew a lot of stuff. But when I got out in the world, I realized there were a whole lot of things I knew nothing about. <laughs> I did not know really about engaging and appreciating people. I did not understand how just incredibly valuable people are at achieving whatever goal you have, whether it be your personal goals or the goals of the, the hospital or institution you're working for or business you're working for, or, or just their, their value at, at adding to one another's lives and the different perspectives they can bring to the table as you're all trying to work together to achieve common goals, right? And I really didn't understand how to engage them, how to embrace people, how to encourage people, how to help people, um, how to empower them to do the things that they were equipped to do that I was not equipped and gifted to, to do. I also didn't really understand practical application. Yeah, systems and facts and theories and ideologies, those are incredibly important at times. You really have to know, have some idea of where you're headed and what you're doing, but they're not a substitute for practical application, for getting your hands dirty, for doing the job, living in the job, and seeing where there are glitches and difficulties that they don't teach you about while you're reading it in books, right? And I really didn't understand what it meant to do that job rather than just study it. I think every other job I had prior to college was hands-on for me. Even as I worked during college, it was hands-on for me. It was far less about learning about something and far more about doing it. And what I discovered in getting out in the work world is, number one, I hated that field. It was not for me. <laughs> and I needed to find something else to do. I should have listened to my mom. She told me that I would hate it, and she was right. I insisted she was wrong because I thought she was crazy, but that's a whole other story. I should have listened. But <laughs> I also learned that there's really no substitute for experience. And, and I think that's the case, whether it be in your job, or in parenting, or in relationships, or in our faith, in 
putting our faith to work and actually practicing it, living it out, um, learning, yes, about what it means to follow God is, is super important, but practically applying it lends a whole other set of understandings to it, right? It really nuances a lot and helps you see it very, very differently as you run into the practical difficulties, the challenges, including even yourself or myself, right? I get in my own way sometimes. But there's no substitute for engaging in it. And the truth is, our faith is designed to be engaged in. It's, it was never intended to be something we just read about. It was always intended to be something that we do, that we live out, that we practice. As we finish up our series, Unlikely Disciple on the Life and the Ministry of Peter, the Apostle Peter, we've spent a lot of time going over Peter's experiences, a lot, right? And seeing, learning mostly from his mistakes, from, from the errors that he's made along the way. But in this one, in our wrap-up, we're going to meet Peter much later. We're going to meet Peter near the end of his life, who's been following the Lord for probably 50 or 60 years. That's been through all the ups and downs, all the ins and outs, all the practical application concerns, and, and has had to look himself in the mirror more than once and say, I dropped the ball again. I failed again. It didn't go right again. And this Peter, this transformed Peter, this sanctified, which is a, a word that just basically means becoming more like Jesus. This Peter gives us a very different perspective on how to look at the world. And it's a perspective that I think we as, as Christians, if we are maturing and growing, need to embrace. Need to embrace and envelop and allow to guide us as we move through our lives. So to do that, we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Read this with me. I'm going to read out of the Christian Standard Bible. It says this, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and glorify God on the day he visits. Submit to everyone or every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, and honor the emperor. So the first thing that Peter has taught us here as he's grown, as he's matured, is that Peter has learned to take the long view. He begins this section by, by telling his dear friends, right? He refers to them as dear friends, people he's known for years, that he's urging them to live in, in very strange ways as strangers and exiles, right? Live as strangers and exiles. And that sounds really weird to us, but I don't know that it would have sounded weird to them. The truth is, the, the, the people of God, that word exile 
carries a lot of weight to it. The people of God have spent many years being exiled from their homeland, exiled from what they believe to be the presence of God in the ark and the temple as they watched it be destroyed by, in particular, the Babylonians who took over and had this practice as many conquering armies and empires have had over the years. And once they conquer an area, they take the vast majority of people who lived in that area and they move them somewhere else. And then they move somebody that they've already taken over into your place. And they do that because they learned that we are willing to fight less when we're not fighting for our home. There's something about that, that if once we're displaced, once we're moved, we're more resigned to where we are and to the reality that we are no longer in charge. And so they did it often. And so this, this term exile was near and dear to the hearts of the people of God. Peter's primary role in, in spreading the gospel was amongst Jews was amongst the people of God. So to use this word would have blown their minds. They would have been like, you want me to live as what? That's something we're fighting against and have been fighting against living out for centuries. We don't want that. But because Peter's taken the long view, he's able to say to them, hey, this is the reality of the world we are in. We are exiles here. And, and not just physically, tangibly exiles, but we are spiritual exiles. We are not consistent with the expectations of those under which we live, the authorities and power. They have a very different set of rules that they play by. Now that's an oddity for us, I think, especially as Christians in America, because at least for the last several decades, we've experienced something called cultural Christianity. In fact, I would go almost back to the, to the very basics, the beginnings of our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, the beginnings of the nation, this idea of cultural Christianity, where the, the culture reflects the practices and values of the Christian faith. Do not steal, do not murder, do not right, love one another, those concepts, those ideas are biblical in their form. They're biblical in their function and their aspirations and their goals. And so we live in a culture that has taken on those values as part of their own, right? And so we here in America experience that daily almost. It's, it's the reason We've become so accustomed to it that it's the reason why when someone violates those expectations, right, when they, they don't fall in line in their form and their function and the decisions they make with something Christian-like, they make different life choices, they choose to treat each other poorly, they do different things. It's the reason why we become angry and defensive and scared because we've learned to expect these Christian values in many ways to be lived out. It's been, we've been, Christians have been one of the major influences on American culture since its inception. And so we kind of expect things to move that direction. But the reality though, is that human cultures often function in ungodly ways, they always have. And they will always fall short of God's standards. 
And the truth is, they only embrace, in our case, Christian values or God's values, as long as it benefits the growth of the culture. Once that wanes, that reflection, that cultural influence begins to wane as well. When the growth wanes, the influence wanes. Because the culture itself is always trying to perpetuate itself and grow itself. It's human nature, right? To be the biggest, the brightest, the newest, the boldest. It's kind of just how humans are. And so Paul or Peter, in this case, has learned as he's taken the long view and he's trying to help his friends here also learn, look, you, you weren't just exiles physically, you're also exiles spiritually. Your, your thoughts and your ways are never going to line up with the rest of the culture, with the rest of the world around you. And you know what Peter has discovered? That's okay. That's all right. He has actually, I think, <laughs> come to embrace his weirdness come to embrace the fact that people are gonna look at him weird and say he's strange and he's not like the rest of us. And in some ways, Peter's like, I'm good with that. It may, it may twinge at my ego, it may not feel good on some levels, but at the end of the day, because I recognize that my hope is in eternity, that my hope is in our God who has made promises to us, my hope is in living at his right hand for all of eternity. In light of that, this little bitty bit of time we spend on earth really is in some ways inconsequential. It has value in that it's giving me an opportunity to grow closer to God, to know God, to discover a savior and to be saved. That's, that's really the grandest thing that we can accomplish in this earth. And, and we don't really accomplish it, Jesus does. But the grandest occurrence we can have in our lives is coming to know him. And so everything else pales in comparison. It means I seek my joy in him and not, as in Peter's example here, he talks about sinful desires, abstaining from those things of the world that would pull you back. He says, I find my joy in the Lord. I don't find my joy in doing these other things. I find my strength in the Lord and I don't find my strength in my own personal value or my ego or the amount of money I have or all these other things that would take me away from him, but at the end of the day are all perishable and all pale in comparison to him. I'm okay with being a little weird. I'm okay with being a little strange because ultimately I know, and as Peter says here, there's a war against my soul, and there's a war against everyone's soul, and it's my soul that I'm watching out for. It's my soul that God has promised to take care of, and it's my soul, my eternity, that matters more. It's really what allows Peter and other believers who have matured in their faith to breathe easy, even in the midst of the difficulties that life presents, because it does. It's what allows them to, to shine the light of God even in the deepest and darkest and roughest times. To yes, stay positive, not because it's fake, but because they have so much to be positive about that the negatives, not even close to being a value.
to what they've been offered through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a perspective that I think we could all, all work toward embracing. And I say that because we struggle with it. We struggle with embracing the reality that being an exile is our reality as followers of Christ. We are not home yet. And it's never going to feel like home. It's never going to be comfortable. And embracing the reality that we are strange. And then in some ways, to be strange, to be different from everybody else around you is not a bad thing. Because it allows us to keep things in perspective, to put our emotional and physical energy where it needs to be, rather than wasting it on things that at the, in eternity, in light of eternity, don't really matter. The other thing Peter wants us to learn, as he's, he's learned to do, to grow, is, is to learn to walk the walk. You know, it's, it's one thing, as I talked about at the beginning, you know, it's one thing to understand all the theories Right, to understand the systems and the theology and, and, and knowing what it means to be saved, right? And to actually live out being saved, living out life as someone who is saved. That practical experience, that practical application of doing the things that God asks of a saved person to spread the gospel to love one another, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourselves. Right? Jesus' words. Or Micah 6, 8, right? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Living out those practices and setting aside those things that are not that. Those pursuits that are not that. Making them truly secondary helps us be better <laughs> at understanding and living out our job as followers of Christ. We gain experience in the world, experience in practical application, experience in fighting through the difficulties, experience in engaging people and getting to know them. We gain so much that you can't just gain by reading it in a book once a week or, or even every day for 20 minutes. It requires walking the walk living it out. Peter does a good job here of, of reminding the people of God. He says in, in verse 13, he says, submit to every human authority because of the Lord. Submit to every human authority. I don't know about you, but that's really hard sometimes. It's really hard when I'm watching them make decisions that are utterly ungodly, Right? To say, seriously? You want me to do what? But if we're taking, again, taking the long view, and if we're walking the walk, we're recognizing something. We're recognizing that Jesus, our Savior, ultimately submitted to the will of God, right? He pleaded with God in the Garden of Gethsemane to take this cup away from him if possible. I don't want to do this. This is not on my to-do list today. If it's possible, please, please, but ultimately says, but not my will, but yours be done. This represents, this is representative of Jesus saying, I will submit to the Father no matter what. And for us to do the same also helps us recognize 
and live out and experience what it means to be in Jesus's shoes in some ways, because that's a hard sell. It also indicates that we understand that all authorities, as Paul tells the Romans, all authorities are in power because God allows them to be there. He allows them to be there for his purposes. He has his reasons. And sometimes his reasons are way above my pay grade. (laughs) My IQ doesn't go that high. I can't follow where God is headed sometimes, believe me. But if I really believe that those authorities are in place, even though, as the scripture says here, they send out, the emperor send out governors to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do what is good, even when the authorities are doing things where I'm like, that ain't evil, and that surely ain't good, right? The decision you're making. I have to remember that whatever it is, God's purpose will be fulfilled in it, or they wouldn't be in power. Is that easy to handle? Nope. But if we're really walking the walk, we have to have the the ability to submit because Christ submitted for us and it's only by that submission that we are saved. It means that justice is God's and God's alone. And to, to release ourselves from that idea that we have to make everything just because God is and God will, right? It releases us from an angst that this world can't seem to get past, right? As they shake their fists and they scream, justice, 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 as though justice is not even a thing. It is. The problem is we want to take it into our own hands rather than letting God. Remembering who's in charge keeps us from doing that. The other thing he wants us to learn as we talked about a little bit last week, is that we are role models, is that our our example matters. In verse 15 of our scripture today, it says, for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people, not by beating them, not by hitting them, not by throwing them in jail, but by doing good. By doing good. That yeah, there's going to be people that are going to say things about you're weird, you're strange, you're in exile, what's wrong with you? But if we're walking the walk, we're not so worried about what they're saying. We're worried about whether or not they are watching what we are doing and that we are doing what God would have us do. Because ultimately, the proof's in the pudding, right? How much we allow God to be our leader. How much we are submitting to him as as Paul, as Peter says here, as slaves, right? He says in verse 16, submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover for evil, but as God's slaves. That word is picked on purpose. If we really believe he is in charge of our every move, our every control, our every decision, that we submit all and everything to him, then he's asking us, to act as he would want us to act. He's acting us to to be a shining light in the midst of darkness, even though the darkness is going to punch back, fight back, and say, no, 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 you're weird. It's okay. Because we've been called to something greater. And the last thing we're going to talk about today that, that God wants us to learn here is this, is... He says in verse 17, honor everyone, love the brothers and the sisters, fear God, and honor the emperor. 
the truth is that, that Jesus, in all of his decisions, led with love. Even flipping over tables was led out of a love for the Lord and defense of the Lord's house, okay? Where the people of God at that time really believed he lived, he physically resided here. This was the connection they had with the that they had with him. To dishonor that is crazy. His love for God is what caused him to flip over tables. His zeal is what the scripture says. But if if we are people that truly lead with love, that we honor everyone, it means we don't say bad things about people. We don't discount them or discredit them or treat them as anything less than image bearers of God created with God's image just as much as you or I. We understand that they come from different places and different times and different sets of expectations. And to honor them means to recognize that. He also says that leading with love means loving the brothers and the sisters. You know, Jesus says in John 13, 35, the world will know us by how we love one another, how we love each other. There is a, um, an expectation as the followers of Christ that we will love each other in a way that the world sees and says, oh my goodness, I want that. And we do so not because we're better, but because we want them to understand how much Jesus loves us and loves them. He says to fear God. Sometimes we need that. Yes, this does engender this term of respecting God, but sometimes we need to remember that he's calling us to be something we don't naturally migrate toward. He's calling us to love and to trust and to treat others in a way that we don't really, at our core, want to treat them sometimes. Sometimes fear is a good motivator to keep us on the right path. We don't like it, but it doesn't mean it doesn't work. And finally, he says to honor the emperor, remember that God has put whoever is there in power for his purposes and for his reasons, and they will be fulfilled. Trust God. I think that's the biggest thing that Peter has learned in his lifetime and his experience of following the Lord is to trust him to trust him with everything, with his life, with his heart, and with his soul. The most unlikely of disciples has become one who is sitting at his right hand right now and teaching us through his mistakes and his successes what it means to pursue God. It is my hope and my prayer that we will embrace that. Each of us and all of us will embrace that call to go out and experience the things of God by doing what he's asking us to do. Get out there, tell somebody who Jesus is. Get out there, volunteer your time loving one another. Get out there encouraging others that maybe you don't agree with, but finding a way to encourage them because they're created in the image of God too. Get out there loving one another radically. Be with each other. Be in each other's lives. Watch out for each other. Help each other. 
make a difference. That's how Christ led for us. And that's how we are to lead the world back to him. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.